welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be breaking down the Thunder Warriors game, giving a recap, kind of who starred in that one as well. And then I'm also going to be telling you guys who to be rooting for in tonight's slate of games. But just starting things out, we have a major game to talk about in the Oklahoma City Thunder game. But before I talk about that, I want to mention really quickly a game that was played before the Thunder game. Started at 7 p.m., talked about it in yesterday's episode. Had a 7 p.m. Grizzlies-Pistons game and a 9 p.m. Thunder-Golden State Warriors game. The Pistons ended up winning their game by a total score of 111 to 97. Had major, major performances all across the board from them. Wayne Ellington, Corey Joseph at 18 points. Frank Jackson off the bench had 11. Just an all-around group performance. So they got the W, and it really made this game tenfold, you know, even more important than what it would typically be. And it's always very important here. But the stakes were very large because if the Thunder were to lose in this game, they would just be a game behind the Detroit Pistons, who had the second-best odds right behind the Houston Rockets. So they go in to face the Warriors in the Chase Center, not the Oracle Arena anymore. Kind of weird saying that, but they go into there. Lou Dort was back. They did not have Alexei Pogashevsky, but for the most part, that's about as healthy of a roster you're going to see from this point because SGA, the reports are not good. Mark Dagnall said that it's a pretty significant tear that he's got in his plantar fascia, so He's probably done for the season. So for what we have right now and knowing that Horford's not touching the floor for us again, we were pretty much at 100% full swing where the Warriors, they were pretty good too. They did not have Kelly Oubre Jr., but they have kind of been able to compensate for that in the past four games that he had been gone. But just starting this game out, it was all about finding the perfect match with Steph Curry. And we know with Steph Curry, he'll go and get 10 points in a matter of a minute. But there's a lot of other people on that Golden State Warriors roster who, who don't have that tendency. And I think all around the league, not a lot of guys have that sort of impact where they can go in and drop double digits in the blink of an eye. Especially, I'd say at the point guard spot, um, I'd say that Steph, Damian Lillard, maybe you want to throw SGA in that category, Luka, if you want to call him as a point guard, but there's just not a lot of them. Also, Russell Westbrook, um, obviously, maybe like Trey Young too. But it's a pretty short list. And outside of that, I mean, your supporting pieces don't tend to also have that trait. Like you don't see those gigantic superstar teams outside of the, the LA teams, the Nets teams. But you don't see it a lot. And you don't see it with the Golden State Warriors roster with no Clay Thompson and with no Kelly Oubre. You really had to find uh, another guy. And they found it in Andrew Wiggins. So Wiggins and Steph Curry, they had the first nine points for the Warriors. Got them on a 9-4 to four start. In Oklahoma City, they had to fight back. So they got two quick, easy buckets to get it to 9-8. to eight. And then you saw Golden State go right back to their bread and butter. The peanut butter and jelly with Steph Curry and Andrew Wiggins. So they went right back. Scored 7 of 13 points in what became a 13-4 patch that got them up double digits with 4 minutes to go in the frame. And upon that, you kind of saw sides just exchange their second unit in. 
You didn't see Maladone get subbed out, I think, at all in the first. He might have gotten out for like the final minute, but he didn't really get out much. Same goes with Steph Curry, so take those two point guards out of the equation, two through five, everyone was getting swapped out. And with that, not a ton really happened here, and the Warriors, they were able to kind of hold that double-digit lead, but then the Thunder got the final five points in the frame. So they were only down 31 to 24 through 12 minutes. And that was pretty good relative to what we saw in that first quarter, to be quite honest with you, because you had Steph Curry, you had Andrew Wiggins dominating. The Thunder did not really have that. Steph and Andrew Wiggins, I mean, they helped establish a 5 of 11 clip from three in that first. And they were also a major reason as to why the Warriors were able to get the ball moving so fluently. They had 12 made shots in the quarter, and 11 of those came assisted, so everything was coming off of passes, and it's because you have a guy like Steph who's kind of so dynamic in a sense. He can stop, pop, or he can drive in, find a man. Just a very unique player. So you put him in. Andrew Wiggins was feeling it too, and you got a couple of other spot-up shooters. It was a recipe for success for them, and that's exactly what worked out. For Oklahoma City, they didn't have many assists, and they really could not shoot from three either. They scored 18 of their 24 points right around the basket, and they only went one of nine from downtown. So they really just could not step up to what Golden State was presenting. But as soon as you walked into that second quarter, it was pretty much square one again for the Thunder in the sense that, I mean, they just got cold. They started three of nine from the floor. You know, on a normal night, you might be able to get away with that. But when you're playing the Golden State Warriors, there's not really much room for failure. So they didn't start out uh, too well. And because of that, I mean, the Warriors were able to get right back up into double digits. And it looked like unless the Thunder had some sort of resurgence, they were going to blow this game off and they would have a 20 point lead within the first six minutes. However, with that, they had one man on the Thunder roster who was kind of just fending off what would have been a blowout and it was Ty Jerome so Ty Jerome he had a nice I think basket in the first quarter and then he got a uh, pretty sweet three to start what would have been that um, three of nine shooting uh, stretch that was not very good but I mean then he was able to get a little bit hotter so Gabrielle Deck hit the first shot for the Thunder in the quarter it was like a little post hook I believe, and then it was all Ty Jerome, so Deck gets that first two, and then Jerome gets 12 consecutive points to keep them in the game, he was the only guy who was really firing on offense, and there was no reason to take the ball out of his hands, the Warriors just could not combat him, because what you saw, especially in the early portions of that game, was Ty Jerome was looking for high ball screens, and he was looking for one man in particular, Tony Bradley so Tony Bradley would set a high ball screen most of them came from the top of the key and because of that he was able to just get right in front of his man and just like Teo Maladon does you get that quick step on your defender and then you kind of just make them ride ride your behind and you kind of just bump them back and you get that separation you're going to have a clean path and sometimes you did not even need to do that but he just had to get right through him off that screen and I mean to begin, the Warriors, they weren't really just switching off the screens anyways. They were just letting uh, Jerome pull it, so they were just hedging, and Jerome was making them pay with a mid-range. And then he got into the floaters, 
and then he got dissecting them from three, and they even he even got two free throws to cap that off. But in a run of his own, he outscored the Warriors 12 to eight, and he kept them in striking distance. Got the game down to six, in fact. And uh, and then that immediate play right afterwards, Tydrome did not score, so the streak ended, but he accounted for the next two points because he got a high ball screen from Tony Bradley. There was way too much pressure on him, and they just forgot about Tony Bradley. And this is a guy that we know can have those like 16 and 12 nights because he's very good at lurking right under the basket. And Tydrome made sure to keep tabs on him because he just had to dump it right over to him. He was seven feet away from the basket, kind of just a face-up shot, and he popped it, went right in for him. So you got the game down to four, and it looked like the Thunder might be able to turn the quarter and actually take the uh, the victory there. But that's when you saw Jerome get swapped back out. So Jerome got swapped, you had Teo Maladon go in, and then you kind of just started running cold because... The Golden State Warriors, they got back in and put some of their starters in. Four minutes to go, keep in mind. And then they got on a 9-2 stretch. And I don't know if this was just by necessity or Dagnall just really wanted to put Jerome back in, but he only had a one-minute break. And it's because Lou Dort picked up his fourth personal foul at the uh, at the three-minute mark. So, of course, you're not going to play him. I mean, even putting someone in with three fouls in the second quarter is extremely dangerous. They played the risk because they know how great of a defender Dort is. He was not able to get uh, the calls kind of swinging his way, so he got that fourth, and they had to take him out. They put Jerome right back in, but it wasn't as simple as you plug him in, and he's back to just carrying your offense. He was not really a major player, and because of that, the Warriors were able to kind of retain their mojo and stay up a baker's dozen they were up 61 to 49 by halftime and the thunder they kind of caught a major break again just like i said in the first quarter where they had to get the last five points they also had the last five points in the second quarter so they were down 17 trim it to 12 you are going to be okay with that um but i mean they just they feel lucky they should feel lucky you know number one because they were down 17 but number two the golden state warriors were making them pay from outside they could not miss they outshot the thunder 52 percent to 40 percent from the floor but here's the main deal it came from downtown so the warriors shot eight of 21 from three in the quarter and for the thunder i mean they were not looking good at all from downtown they shot four of 18 so that's 22 percent from them the warriors on the flip side shot 38 percent and to make matters even worse i mean the people who were scoring for the warriors it was really just one person but it was steph curry so he had 17 points at halftime and he shot five of 11 to get there but there were two forwards right behind him andrew wiggins and kent Bazemore, 13 and 11 points for them respectively so if you tally all those up that'd be what 41 points that big three was just eight points shy of what the thunder had as a whole entire unit overall so that tells you really where all the reps were going into but it was a very smart decision by the warriors to be doing so because it got them the results that they needed for the thunder though as i mentioned the main issue was just the shot also still 
coming from the assists. They had 18 made field goals in the first half. Only eight of those came assisted. For the Warriors, 19 of their 22 shots came assisted. So that was a big deal. Um, one big guy, though, that I think, or two big guys, really, that you need to talk about are Ty Jerome and Teo Maladon. And Ty Jerome, he had that just amazing um, second quarter of his. I think by the end of that, he had like 14 points or something. So he had that 14-point quarter to get himself to 16 at half. And then Maladon was right behind him with 12 points. And he had a major 10-point first quarter, which kind of went under the radar. But they were really the stars uh, in their set kind of frames. Without either of them, it would have been really, really ugly. And entering that third quarter, it still had the potential to. Because Steph Curry, I mean, this was a guy who, in the last matchup, really dominated in the third. I, I remember calling it like video game-like numbers. That's really what it was. I don't think he missed. I think he went like 6-6 six of six or 7-7 seven of seven from 3. And it got to the point where they did not even need to play him in the 4th. It would almost be like a, like a middle finger to the Thunder to do that. Like, they'd just be disrespectful. He put that game into dust in the 3rd. So, a lot of those guys on the Warriors can get hot after those breaks. Especially Steph Curry, though. And, um, I mean, Oklahoma City, they started a bit rocky. And they kind of hung with the Warriors for like the first minute or so, but then there were two plays where Isaiah Roby had some offensive fouls, so the first one, really good post move by him, actually, and I think it might have been a bit of a ticky-tack foul, but he was right under the rim, and he tried doing a little post spin, and in the process, ended up bodying his guy, maybe a little bit of acting there, but he fell down nonetheless, and it got the call, next play over, really obvious charging, so that's two offensive fouls, give the Warriors two extra possessions, and, um, I mean, they were able to capitalize. Thunder, they had zero points in the first two minutes, so it really did hurt. They found their way back, though, despite that, and it started with a Darius Baisley three, so ripping the cords on a shot that they just could not hit in the, in that first half, really changed the tides, and then Teo Maladon leaning in, and it's going to be hard to even describe what this was looking like, but he was damn near falling backwards when he took this shot, got hacked on the arm, and to get this shot off because he was driving right, he just had to, like, catapult this thing, I'd probably, yeah, like, almost like a shot put, that's what I'd probably consider it, so just, like, straight up push it as high as you can and pray that it goes in, and it got very soft touch off the backboard, so he was able to go up, and he hit his free throw, and that really is what started it. So that lead, uh, the, that 6-0 run expanded to a 13-4 run where they were able to get the game down from 15 points to 6 points. But then it was about Steph Curry again. And he got into full force. He had a floater to start things out, had a step back three, and then a spot up three, both around from, I think, 25 feet. And he kept going. So he had a run where he had 11 of the team's 12 points. I think, you know, the final Bucky came off like a split pair of free throws or something, but it was a 12-4 run. So it was just one mark shy of what the Thunder did. So almost kind of crossed each other out there. And then the Warriors were right back to having their double-digit lead and just looking to inflate the game. And the Thunder, they did a good job kind of sticking with it. They didn't have that major like double-digit push again. But they kept the game at 10 with a minute to go. But then Steph Curry 
did a really good job here. He split his defenders, got right inside the basket, and he started out from slashing in that right side. So it gets right under the rack. And I mean, there was not a lot of help there. So from the left corner, you had to get the help. And I, I forgot if it was Baisley or somebody else. It might have been someone like Jalen Horde or Josh Hall, even. But the forward had to move. So they had to kind of switch from that left corner. There was no help from the left wing. So you didn't see kind of switching back on defense. And Steph Curry was able to just toss the ball to Kent Bazemore, who had a wide open left corner three. So he goes up with it. He gets that shot off. And right as he takes that, you had Steph Curry kind of charging towards, uh, towards him as well. But then... You know, Josh Hall, that's who it was. He also had the momentum, and he just ran right into Steph Curry. Now, Steph Curry, maybe he was being a little bit overdramatic on his reaction, but he fell on the floor and was kind of making a big deal. The whistle got blown, though, and the three-pointer went in. And with these rules, I, I believe how it works is if the foul, like the Curry foul comes before the shot, you're not going to count that shot. But if it's in the time that... Kent Bazemore is able to go up with it and release it. It's going to be an and one play. So it was an and one. And then you saw a away from play foul. And it got Steph Curry up to the foul line. He was able to drill it. And then Curry had another lay-in. So they ended up being ahead 88-72 to leading into that fourth quarter. But Steph Curry was the guy in the third had 17 points, so matched his halftime total by pretty much doing the same thing as he's always doing. Just going to the three-point line, and whenever there's way too much pressure from Maladon or Jerome, he was able to seep into the defense, even to the point where he was able to create wide-open looks for his teammates. So he was really just embodying that kind of model they had of assists for every single basket, and it kind of just lifted him up. And on top of that, went 6 of 10, from the floor when you look at what the thunder did in that quarter they only had 23 points um so it's just like a halftime where you had that big three no need for a big three just had one guy in steph almost just uh aligning with a whole entire thunder roster but going into the fourth quarter you saw both dagnalt and steve kerr kind of swap out their starters for the second unit i think Baisley might have hung in there with the starters but it really wasn't all that important they just wanted to get the reps in for some of the young bucks and one of the young bucks off the bench was Ty Jerome and he kept going kept going with his extended run of just points stacking them on top of each other he was the offense but the Golden State Warriors their second unit had gotten really hot as well and they found a bench piece in Michael Mulder who played just as good as Ty Jerome. I'm not going to say even better, but he was on that level. So you had two guys off the bench playing like superstars, and there was not really much moving in terms of uh, the Golden State Warriors lead. So the Thunder never got that serious streak. Kerr sent out Steph Curry with like five minutes to go. And, um, you know, with him, just like the way he's able to impact a game, like he doesn't even need the ball to impact the game he just brings so much attention to him it got another guy in Juan Toscano Anderson two easy triples and I'd say those kind of were the two final wounds for the team I will say for the Thunder I mean they did have a couple of nice layups 
specifically with Josh Hall, he was banging right into people for and ones. Um, but yeah, I mean, the lead was up to 25 at its highest point, and the Thunder ended up walking away, losing by 21, 118 to 97. So for the Warriors, this was a very big game because with it, they now are the eighth seed in the Western Conference. It's a bit different now. Because of the play-in spot, the 8th seed does not secure a play-off spot. They will need to be playing in the play-in tournament unless they miraculously tap into the top 6. That might be a long shot right now. I guess there's still a slim chance, but the big deal is staying on that 78 uh, slate for them. And with that, you're going to see a double elimination. So if you're going to be a 7 or 8, you're going to play the 7 seed or the 8 seed. If you win, you move on to the playoffs. If you lose, you go into the second game where you play the winner of the 9-10 matchup. So if you win that, you're good. You just have to go 1-1. One and one. Where if you're in that 9-10 spot, just that one loss takes you out. And if you win the first round, that's great. You lose the second round, your season is still over. So it really takes the kind of nerves and pain away from being in that bottom, bottom tier of the standing so they're good and then on top of that they are above the 500 mark they're 34 and 33 right now and with them having i think five more games on the season they can try to improve that even more and with the trailblazers and lakers playing that's going to be a very big six seven night it's going to give them even more room to hopscotch whoever lands at that seven seed so very good night for them for the thunder this was also a good night because of the tanking initiative that's kind of being pushed everywhere. Obviously, you you love seeing the team win, and any other year, you'd be insane, and you would just get thrown out of the fan base for saying you want them to lose, but right now, that's kind of the main goal here. So with the loss, they are the lone um, possessor of the fourth best lottery odds, but it's just like last game where... You are going to see some catch-up being played between the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Orlando Magic because the Thunder, they're 21-46, and 46, but both the Cavs and Magic are going to play tonight, and if they lose, which that is going to be the assumption, they're going to be tied, and it's going to be back to a three-way, three-way tie for the fourth-best odds uh, come lottery night. But the big deal here is now they're just a half game away from the Timberwolves, and one game away from the Detroit Pistons. And as I prefaced it, I mean, that Pistons game was really the center of attention until about the third quarter for me. I was still obviously watching the game and I was prioritizing it, but every once in a while, you kind of just had to glance and see what was going on with the Pistons. So the Pistons didn't play Grant. They didn't play Plumlee. They didn't play really anybody that you would imagine. The only vets I'd say that played were Ellington and Corey Joseph. Both of those two have just been really role players outside of maybe like one year. Joseph was a big deal on the Pacers, I think it was. But they were kind of surprises to be team leaders. And the guys surrounding them in the Frank Jacksons, in the Sadiq Bays, the Isaiah Storts, they have been great. And this is not, that's not really a tanking team. I, I think that, you know, you plug in Jeremy Grant, and I don't even know if you'd want to play Plumley because Stort is clearly going to be the better long-term option, and Diallo, who had 35 in the last one, they'd be winning games right now. I don't think they're a bottom dweller because of kind of the emergences of the young guys, specifically the ones in um, Bay, 
Stort and Frank Jackson. But they've looked extremely good now, and you know the momentum is a little, little bit more uh, of a change. And they do still have to play the Timberwolves, so that is going to be one where they're going to be able to at least tie with the fourth best odds. Or if they uh, end up losing, that means that we're going to be ahead of the Timberwolves, uh, assuming that we lose out. So pretty big, a lot of different options there. So that that was kind of the main deal with me. And then, I mean, as I talked about, there are going to be some pivotal games played tonight, which can shake up the lottery standings. But just looking at the game as a whole, the Oklahoma City Thunder, I mean, they just fell victim to, to Steph Curry and the rest of the gang there. So for Steph Curry, he went off on this game for 34 points. This is a lot better than honestly what I expected. I thought he was going to sound off at least a 40 piece, but just 34, that's not bad. And he had seven assists to go along with that. He went 11 of 21 from the field and six of 13 from three in just 31 minutes but he was not alone as I talked about with Michael Mulder he was the wingman I thought Andrew Wiggins was going to be the guy but Mulder stepped up to the plate he was the second half hero and he finished the game with 25 points going 9 of 15 from the field and going 7 of 13 from beyond the arc so he was playing the Clay Thompson role in this game and he did it to a T he was amazing and then with that you still had Guys like Andrew Wiggins, Jordan Poole, and Kent Bazemore, they all cracked the double-digit club. Andrew Wiggins had 18 points, Poole had 14, and Bazemore had 13. Even with that, there were still some others who did really good. Draymond Green, he had 5 points, 9 rebounds, and 9 assists. And kind of a shocker here, I thought that the center position would have been locked down by Moses Brown, especially on the boards. But Kevon Looney out-rebounded Moses Brown 10-8 on this game. Only had two points, but really big deal, I'd say, in terms of getting the rebounds to go in. So it was a very big deal. I think all around, it was just a team effort for them. And it's not just the individual stats that back that. It's the team stats. And it comes from how they were still assisting on the floor. They capped the game off with 36 assists on this game and when you look at how many field goals they ended up making throughout they only made 42 so I mean that's an extremely good ratio that is a that's a 85.7 percent uh conversion rate on those assists so that's that's wild you don't see that at all uh in the league especially when it's so iso heavy but they're all about the team effort and that meant a lot and for the thunder I mean they were getting good looks but they weren't capitalizing. I'll say even if they made all those wide open looks, they would not have gotten up to 36 different assists. By the end of the game, they had 21 assists, which is still pretty good. Um, but they did it off 36 makes. So the total amount of makes the Thunder had on this game was matched by the amount of assists the Warriors had on this game. So a little bit mind boggling there and just tells you what kind of a night it was. So for the Thunder, they were passing, but the Warriors were passing every single play until they found that final look. And yeah, even though Curry led the game, it wasn't like Curry was doing it all on his own. He did it through everybody. Everybody was kind of intertwined here and in getting all of those 118 points. So it was great for them. I think Steve Kerr is definitely going to be happy for them. 
And for Mark Dagnall, I'd say they still should probably be happy too. And it's because they didn't let this game just go away. Um, and it really just comes down to how they're able to perform in the third quarter and really the second. I thought there were multiple times in the second and third where Golden State should have pulled away in the game. And it was either through Ty Jerome, Teo Maladone, Baisley, or just some other unsung hero that um, would come in and get them some sort of run and keep them in the game. So they always had those runs to fight back. Obviously, there had to be some sort of breaking point here, and it came in that third quarter. But I think the fight was major. I thought this could have been another game where they got blown out by 30, 40 points, but they prevented that, and they almost kept it from being a 20-point loss. So I thought it was really good for them, and just the way they were closing out quarters where it was um, was very solid too. But I also think just how they're able to incorporate top to bottom the whole entire roster. And I think partially it comes to the team and Dagnall being willing to let the hot hand stick around for a good stretch of times. But it also needs to get credit to the individual here. And I'm talking about one man in particular right now. I'm talking about Ty Jerome. And Ty Jerome was just doing his own thing. He always does this to where he will come in and he wants to play street ball. He'll go around the screen, sure. But he's not looking at it from, you know, a five-man perspective. At least to begin with. He's always hunting for his own shot. And until he kind of breaks that three-point line... It's all about him in that basket. And obviously, there's times where he'll gun through like laser precise passes from that three. But what we've seen from him now off that bench is he is the star of the show. He wants to be the Jordan Clarkson, the Frank Jackson of the bench. And he wants to be the guy. So he's waiting for those Tony Bradley screens and looking to work. And as I said, he got in those twos and then he worked from the three. And he just has a great sense from the the three-point line. Like, players aren't defending him like a three-point specialist. They probably don't even see him as that, to be honest. They probably just see him as this, you know, typical white point guard, nothing too crazy. Yeah, he might have a good shot, might have a good pass, but is he going to be able to go off for 23 points in the drop of a hat? Absolutely not. So give him a little bit of lenience. But every single game in these last five or so, all these defenses have come around by the end and made him a priority. And even with that, he was getting shots to go in. So I thought that Ty Jerome was great. I mean, he shot 8 of 14 to get to the 23, had three assists to go along with it. And from three, he went three of six. So just the consistency is the major part here. I think that with everybody on the roster, there has been ups and downs like the Baisleys, the Dorts, even the SGAs when he was playing. SGA would have those games where he'd go 4 of 6 from downtown, and then he'd follow it up with a 2 of 12 game. Ty Jerome's probably only had one or two really, really bad performances from 3, where I feel the need to talk about it. Other than that, it's always a bright spot. There's not those average games where he, you know, he'd shoot like 33%. There's not any of those. Doesn't leave the room for it. So, I'd say off the bench, he's turned into one of the core pieces uh, I, I've said it, but I, I don't know long-term where he slots if we get a guy like Cade Cunningham or Jalen Green, but the way he's played now, I don't think it's going to matter. I think he'd still be in the long-term plans for the Thunder. So he's been a very nice shock to the team, and especially in this game where he was the guy. But beyond him, there was still Darius Baisley. I mean, he was a point shy with 22 points, only had three rebounds, which was very surprising. He's kind of been getting like eight to nine 
in these uh, past couple ones, but he slowed down, really was basing his game around the jumper uh, and that just a three-point shot. I mean, he shot 19 shots in the game. 13 of those attempts came from distance. He only hit four of them, though. So the effectiveness was not uh, really on par of what you wanted it to be, but I still like how he was still shooting the shots up pretty consistently, even though they weren't falling in a ton. Uh, the three was a little bit blocked off, or the twos, my bad, were a little bit blocked off. You know, I want to say I predicted it in the the preview, but it's it's kind of one of those takes where you're kind of always going to be right. You know, I thought that would Draymond on him. It would be very tough to get inside, and sure enough, it was. He was only able to hit three shots uh, on six tries on twos, but he was able to get to the line, though, so it did help him out just a little bit. Went up there five times and drained four free throws, but it was just one of those other nights for him. I think it's kind of turned into a usual where he is going to be the guy and he'll have the ball a lot, whether he wants to operate from the three or try to drive himself inside. It doesn't matter. He's going to do either. He doesn't have those games where he's going to sit back and relax anymore. That's the Baisley of the past. And I think that's why you should be really, really excited about him and his future. Another guy that I think you can say that with is Teo Maladon. I mean, he had that major 10-point first, really cooled off, but he still ended the game with 15 points overall. Shot 5 of 12, but the main deal, he had 8 assists on this game. And it was just like Ty Jerome, where he's hunting down those high ball screens, and then he's looking to work and see, can I get a cross-court pass? Can I get a runner in? Can I slice it right down the middle to my roll, man? All those different questions pop up in Teo Maladon's head, and the pecking order always seems to be amazing. His kind of IQ on what a good pass is might be one of the best on the team. And I'm not kidding. Like SGA, he's a very good passer. And some of the passes he makes is ridiculous. But he has that tendency to just throw really bad passes where you're trying to slice it through two guys and it, it just doesn't work out. And I think Ty Jerome, he's also very good at making passes. Also has those moments. Not as much as SGA though. I will say the sample size is a bit off. Maladone has played enough to I think you can affirmatively say he has a big enough sample and he doesn't have a lot of dumb passes like he's not looking to be flashy with it he's looking to make the correct reads and he makes the correct read about 90% of the time and that is on level with a very very good playmaking point guard like that is all-star level kind of decision making that he has now am I saying he's an all-star right now hell no I'm not but I'm saying with what he's done in terms of making the correct reads, he doesn't play like a 19-year-old. He plays like a 29-year-old in the midst of his best contract in his career. So, I mean, I just can't wait to see kind of where that knowledge goes with him. But he was all about passing. I think even with the 15 points, the 8 assist was the kind of core part because no one else was really that stuck up on trying to pass where Maladone, that was his primary deal. So that's what I liked from him. And then Lou Dort, this was not a good game for him. He does have a cop-out excuse, though. So he shot 3 of 13, only had 7 points in 21 minutes. But as I mentioned in the very beginning of this podcast, he had a patellar injury that he had just overcome to get into this game. And quite frankly, I thought that was an injury that was just to get him out. I thought it was just going to be a rest break for him, maybe save the tank a little bit, and you know, get him out for the Warriors game, probably wouldn't play in the next one. Well, it was a legitimate injury because 
looks like he was still very aggravated with it. Dagnall had to pull him out. He talked about it post-game. He said he battled through the pain and was able to play tonight. And he said, for that, I credit him. A little bit of, you know, a little bit of a mistranslation, but you kind of get the main idea. Main point was able to battle through the pain to play, and he was really happy for it for him at least trying. So, wasn't able to stick through, you know, his typical like 30 to 35 minute roll. But that's okay because it allowed us to see a lot more of Ty Jerome and kind of see the potential we have with him. And it looks like there's a pretty big deal of it. So, I'd say, you know, with the Dort injury, it did help out to kind of evaluate some of the talent a little bit further and even through some other guys I really enjoyed uh who we got to see I thought Josh Hall was amazing he had eight points and five rebounds went three of eight from the floor oh of three from distance but I just really love the way he plays around the basket and he's so raw and he doesn't look like he deserves to be on a two-way contract he looks like a guy that would have been selected maybe back of the first round this year I want to compare him to Baisley from his rookie contract, but or rookie year, I, I don't know if I want to go there just yet because he's so unproven. I, I don't want to put him on that level, but I mean, he does have that seedling of being a really good finisher. I think that the touch is a little bit too strong, and that's something that will need to be fixed, but I think the way he's able to kind of accelerate to the basket and slow down midair to get the good shots off is a very good quality to have, and I don't know if we're going to be able to keep him on the roster I think that when it comes down to the final 15, if we select two or three rookies on top of what we already have, I don't know how we'd steal kind of a 15-man spot anyways when there's guys like Spee kind of already on that fringe right now. Same goes with players like Tony Bradley. But he's very good, and I think he's kind of in that same boat with Jalen Horde where he should have an NBA contract, not just based on his age and potential, but he does have a pretty good kind of set of qualities here that you can kind of look at so I thought Josh Hall was good Jalen Horde in the game only got to play two minutes so I'm a little bit disappointed in that you got to see Charlie Brown Jr. instead of him really and Charlie Brown got to play 16 minutes had zero points wasn't very uh very good but it's whatever you always need to try out people and uh I I thought that Gabrielle Deck was yeah, I mean, this wasn't a, good, a great game for him. He shot two of seven, but he did play pretty all right, especially when it came to assists because he did have four of them. Tony Bradley off the bench, I like too. I mean, he had eight points and five rebounds. All four of his makes, I would just assume, came off of Ty Jerome helping him out there. And then the other big man and Moses Brown had two points and eight rebounds. So it wasn't spectacular in the big play. I thought that was going to be where the Thunder would win this game. Complete opposite. Actually kind of came from the guard play, to be quite honest. Even though Steph Curry on his own was kind of able to be the star. But that was just my main points from the game. But, as I mentioned, there's still a little bit more from today. So I talked about yesterday's news. I'm talking about today's news and the two big games you need to keep on your tabs. I don't know. I'd say calendar, but I feel like that'd be a little bit weird because this is the day of, but just make sure to keep track of this, whether it's through League Pass, through your phone, just, just look at it, and, you know, see what goes on here, so the first game's gonna get played at 7 p.m., it's gonna be the Magic versus the Hornets, this is always Central Time, by the way, this is one of the games where you might see a potential win here, 
But the Magic are just so scuffed up right now. I find it kind of hard. I mean, this Hornets team is not the greatest. They are in the playoff spots right now, but they're weak. I mean, they almost lost, or yeah, they almost lost the Pistons this week. And the Pistons are much better than the Magic are roster-wise right now. Um, but I mean, it shows they're vulnerable. I don't think they're going to get pierced up by the Magic though, because I mean, they have so many different guys out. I think there's seven people out for the rest of the year that they are seriously, I mean, considering, I know the Rockets for one are considering postponing for tonight's game. I don't know if the Magic are, but I mean, they're, they're so damaged right now that they're able to get the hardship exception. That's very hard to get, number one. And number two, they're getting it on a guy like Admiral Schofield. So he's going to be joining a roster of Mo Wagner, of Ignas Brasdingas. Those are like your stars right now. And Cole Anthony is really the main dude that they have on the roster. Um, but, I mean, even with that, I don't see Cole Anthony going wild. Like, Cole Anthony is a beast. And I know he had a game winner last week. But I don't think he'd be able to carry him. I, mean, I just don't see it, to be honest with you. I think Schofield will be fun to watch and just see how he does. Because I do think the Thunder never gave him a fair chance. Um, but I don't know if it's really a win here. I think that that's just one where you see it pass by. Maybe it's close, but I'd kind of rule this as a Charlotte win. Next game to talk about is going to be 30 minutes after that. It's going to be the Cavs going up against the Dallas Mavericks. And for the Cleveland Cavaliers, this is one that maybe uh, you would think they, they might be able to squander out somehow. But look, if Luka and Chris uh, Porzingis are going to be playing, the game is going to be over with. And that is what is to be expected from this game. It's expected that both Luka and Porzingis will be playing on the night. Whereas, I mean, the Cleveland Cavaliers, they have their guys in Darius Garland and in Colin Sexton, but they just haven't been able to piece it together. I mean, there's rumors, which honestly could just be hyped up by the media, that people are having serious issues as to how Colin Sexton plays and how... He's really score first, team player last, and it's just a lot of iso ball here, so it's not a lot of teamwork going on, and I think against the Mavericks, that just simply will not uh, kind of do do you justice, so I don't think it's going to be a win, um, but that's one that you also need to look at. Like, quite frankly, I didn't think the Pistons were going to win last night. I just threw it out there as, you know, maybe if Sadiq Bey, Stort, and Frank Jackson go, Hand in hand, they might be able to pull off an upset here. They did it. So don't rule either of those games out. But yeah, I just don't know. I think that these are not two games where it's kind of like the bottom dwellers, where it's a win-win. Clearly a winner. You want to see. Uh, we'll see kind of how it shapes out. But I'll make sure to talk about those two games. I'll be able to talk about tomorrow's game as well. Preface you for that one, because the Thunder will be facing the Warriors again in their baseball set. Then they play the Kings again in a baseball set. But it'll be fun, so I'll get you guys the news there, just all around the league as well, as well as another tidbit surrounding the Thunder and their current health and safety uh, and how it kind of stacks up to the league. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I'll talk to you all next time. See ya.